0: Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Luke. I'm going to be reading Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of uh, Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his god in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his god. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, uh, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with, those, with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. After Daniel remained there, uh, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Luke.
1: This is a, a new preaching series, and it's a series born out of a study and a book. And the study consists of a series of surveys taken of, of thousands of young people from across the world, 26 different nations, from uh, South Africa to South Korea, from Mexico to Europe... It looks at the state of faith for the next generation, the generation known as as millennials, 18 to 35s, most of us. Sorry, John. I'm I'm what is called an elder millennial, right? I'm at the top end of the millennial age bracket, which means I remember the sound of dial-up internet. Uh, And I was in year 12 when the first iPhone was released, and I was an adult when Gangnam Style came out. Lots of you guys, though, are at the other end of that millennial range, right? You don't even remember a world before TikTok. Or maybe some of you think of yourself as a a Zoomer or something like that instead. But either way, 18 to 35, that's us that this study engages from around the world. And often, this kind of research focuses on the challenges and the threats to young disciples and the things that are going wrong in churches around the world. And this research does engage with those things, but primarily this is a study about the parts of the church and the people within it who are thriving, who are strong, who are living for Jesus with resilience at the rest of their lives. The research identifies and explores five markers, five identity traits of resilient discipleship among young followers of Jesus from around the world. And so it's a wonderful, fitting, useful resource for us to explore over the next five weeks. Because that's our purpose. Right? That's, our, that's our goal, that's our identity, that's our desire at Unichurch to form thriving and resilient young disciples of Jesus. We exist to form people into resilient disciples of Jesus who will thrive as the next generation of Christian leaders, believers and evangelists. We want to reach Melbourne Uni with the gospel of Jesus. We want to build thriving and resilient disciples of Jesus. And we want to raise up the next generation of leaders for Jesus. And so as we come to engage with this research and to engage with... God's word over the next five weeks and to understand and to interpret and apply what we learn through scripture as we go, it's a time for us, each of us and all of us together to bring out our lives, our relationships, our study and career, our nation, our church, our world, to bring those things before God and to trust him for the future, to prepare ourselves for the future to grow the kind of Christian life, each of us and all of us, that will sustain and grow us for the next half a century or more. So, let's start doing that by opening the Bible. Would you turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 that Luke read for us? God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and he brought them into the land he promised them, despite their lack of faith and their continual disobedience in all kinds of ways. And God established his people in that land where they could worship him and represent him to the world. But they continued to fail in their calling. The people of God, and especially their leaders, continue to betray and ignore the Lord. And after centuries of patience, and renewal, God finally delivers on the punishment that he has long promised, if they don't turn back to him. And that's where Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 picks up. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, so that's the kind of ancient superpower that's nearby, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God and these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So God allows Babylon, the ancient superpower, to conquer Jerusalem, to conquer God's own city and to carry off its wealth and its people far away into exile Young men are conscripted into the service of this foreign king. Other Israelites are enslaved. Some are left behind. And so God's people are suddenly and violently forced to learn to live in a totally new situation for them as God's people. No longer are they in Jerusalem where God's law shapes the culture. And even if people didn't love and worship God, God's name was still respected it was slower pace there. There was a long history of people knowing and serving the Lord. But now, suddenly, they're in Babylon. right? It's still highly spiritual, but pagan. And, and pluralistic, multi-religious. There are all kinds of faiths there. It's multicultural. It's, it's hyper-stimulated. It's a fast-moving, technologically-driven culture and city. And for us today as young followers of Jesus, we find ourselves in a season of upheaval, a new situation in which to live out Christian faith. Not a physical Babylon, but a digital Babylon. Digital Babylon, a key idea of the Faith for Exiles Study is the highly spiritual but, but pagan and hyper stimulated multi religious, multicultural technological crossroads which is home to everyone with Wi Fi or data access? Right, because, like an ancient empire, the internet it conquers, it colonizes, it takes over people and cultures and societies. And like an ancient superpower, it demands conformity and obedience. screens they inform us and they connect us. They shape us and they form us. They entertain us and distract us. They overwhelm us and they monetize us. Right? We learn skills through YouTube. We form political opinions in chat threads. We receive world news through Instagram accounts. We maintain significant relationships through messaging apps. We go to class on Zoom. The typical 15 to 23-year-old churchgoer, 15 to 23-year-old churchgoer spends 291 hours per year consuming spiritual content, 291 hours, and 2,000 767 hours using screen media. We spend 10 times as long using screen media as we do in spiritual content. Now, we could talk for hours and I could rattle on like an angry old man about how the digital world colonises us and controls us and tries to overwhelm our lives and our worldview. And if you want to think further about that, uh, then come and ask me and I'll, I'll just spout off Or you could listen to a talk from UniChurch on our website from late last year called Distraction and, and Prayer. But for us who long to be resilient disciples of Jesus, we must learn to be so, to be that in digital Babylon, not in Jerusalem. We must learn to thrive as followers of Jesus Christ in a culture which is not only apathetic to the gospel, but... Hostile to it, which sees the gospel as as a threat, as competition, and which actively tries to reprogram us away from Jesus. The Apostle Peter, he wrote to another group of God's people, to Christians living in the first century, in another dominant empire, not in Babylon, but in the Roman Empire. And just like those ancient people in Babylon, he addresses them as exiles. Hear these words from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. So he addresses the churches, God's people, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. And a little further on in chapter 2, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Even In exile, even in digital Babylon, we are still God's chosen people, still sanctified, set apart by His Holy Spirit, still sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And even in digital Babylon, we are still called to live such good lives among the people around us that they would see God in us. Christ for Exiles, the study, shows that there are young believers across the world who are living these good lives as thriving and resilient disciples in exile in digital Babylon. But they are not the majority. This study includes young people, like we said, 18 to 35s, who have been part of church at one point in their life. That's the criteria for them being part of the study. They've been part of church at one point in their life, and then it breaks them down into four groups. First are the prodigals, who once were part of church, but have rejected that identity and no longer follow Jesus. There are nomads, who have not explicitly rejected their faith or rejected Christ, but they're not living out faith in a Christian community or a Christian ethic. There are the habitual churchgoers who attend church. Maybe they even volunteer, maybe they even go to a Bible study, but what the study shows is that their personal ethics, their preferences, their desires show little or no difference to those of the prodigals and the nomads. They go to church, but they're basically unchanged by the gospel. And finally, resilient disciples those who own and express deep faith in Christ. They are transformed believers. They are different to the prodigals and the nomads. They pray, they love scripture, their faith changes the way they think and make decisions, changes their ethics. They are like a a faithful remnant among 18 to 35-year-olds across the world. Next week we're going to dig a little further into these categories and think about how they're represented in Christian churches across the world. But tonight, let's just have a look at how they're represented in Australia. Remember, these are people who have at one point been part of church. Resilient disciples make up 8% of millennials who have been part of church in Australia. This morning, there were dozens of kids here, including my own kids, learning about Jesus. Without something changing, 70% of them will walk away from church. And fewer than 1 in 10 will endure as transformed, resilient disciples of Jesus. Something has to change. We can't just go about our Christian lives and community as it always has been. But there's hope. There is hope. There's living hope. That's what Peter wants to give to the churches that he writes to in those words that we heard before. He wants to give Christian exiles hope for their lives and hope for the future through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. It's to that same Peter, right, that Jesus himself promised on you, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. There is no Babylon, whether it's imperial or digital, that can prevail against God's plan to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. In every generation, God has raised up the next. In every time he has kept a faithful remnant to carry his gospel. That's who resilient disciples are. right? That's who we can be. God is going to use young believers to lead and refine and grow his church through exile in digital Babylon. If you partner with him, he will use you for that purpose. So then, we've got the next five weeks devoted to preparing ourselves to be those thriving and resilient disciples. Five weeks to put ourselves where we want to be in that chart. These are the five key practices that mark out resilient disciples among 18 to 35s around the world. Here they are. Intimacy with Jesus cultural discernment, countercultural mission, vocational discipleship and meaningful relationships. Those five traits statistically mark out the young people across the world who are truly transformed by the gospel, who will really endure as thriving and resilient disciples of Jesus. Five weeks, Five Practices for Resilient Discipleship. That's a long intro to the sermon. Let's get into the first of those. (laughs) Now, I want to do a little bit of a thought experiment here. I want to see if you guys share an experience that I often have. And it's a little bit hard to describe, so stick with me. Do you ever find yourself in moments of great joy or great contentment, really happy moments, maybe moments of great beauty, finding yourself having the experience of kind of looking at the moment from the outside rather than just genuinely being present in the moment. Does that sound familiar? Is that something that you experience? Imagine a moment of really great friendship with people close to you or watching a sunset over an ocean with someone close to you. And in those most wonderful moments, you find yourself instinctively getting out your phone to take a picture and put it on Instagram, right? Or maybe the irresistible urge to say the word vibe. Do you have that experience? Do you remember this? Do you remember at UniCon? The number of people who posted photos of the campfire? Why? Why? Right? No, no judgment if one of those photos is yours, I'm sure. All six of those people are in the room. Genuinely, no, no judgment on that. But why do we feel the urge to do that? Well, it's a, it's a symptom of the way in which our generation is trained and formed and expected to find and build and present our identity. Right? Human beings are a unique in creation partly because we undergo this constant search for identity, right? Who am I? is a question that drives us. It's one of humanity's timeless questions and we look for answers to that question of who am I in all kinds of places. We might look for it in brands, in relationships, in our study, and career, in sport we play, in our sexuality, in our gender, in those we admire, in our clothes, in our success. And in Digital Babylon, that hybrid physical online world that you and I live in, our screens grant us access to endless identity-forming tools and communities and adventures. Endless content with which to build and present our identities. Because in Digital Babylon, we decide our own identity, each of us, one at a time we build our own identity and we present it to the world. The authors of Faith for Exiles call this brand me. They write this, In digital Babylon, we are all encouraged, even expected, to carefully curate what our own individual brand is. Brand me. Right, every one of us, by the filters that we choose, the forums we frequent, the channels we watch, the memes we share, we build our own brand in the world and we present it online. Right, social media provides a form of identity, but it's a form of identity which is, which is curated and, and one which kind of darkly is actually driven much more than we might realise by algorithms rather than our own free will. And so we're tasked, we're burdened with the responsibility to be the ultimate decision maker, the ultimate arbiter of our own identity. Right? You can be whoever you want to be. Does that, that spirit kind of sound familiar? Does that connect with your experience? Can you see this at play in our culture's fierce determination that people can choose and express their own sexual and gender identity? Does this ring true to the time that you might spend preparing your photos to upload? Right, so, and again, apologies for targeting the Campfire Instagram people. We post a picture of the Campfire vibes that we're enjoying as a brick in the presentation of our identity to the world. That's digital Babylon mediating every experience invading every experience, right? Training our brains to view everything as potential posts, as bricks to build the house of our identity. But do you, do you wish sometimes that you could just enjoy the campfire or the hangout or the beautiful sunset or the time with friends without having to integrate it into your identity? I do. Well, there is a better way. We read from Daniel 1 of the exile of God's people and the difficult new situation in which they had to learn to live for God. Right, And many of them, maybe most of them, abandoned their identity as God's people and were colonised, were taken over by the culture of Babylon. Just as many young churchgoers, the habitual churchgoers that we saw today, don't endure in faith. But... Some stood strong. Some learned to thrive. Some met the culture and the pressures of Babylon, not with, with fear or with compromise, but with courage and wisdom and resilience. Let's read again from Daniel chapter 1, picking it up at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring him to the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Right? Men like... No, no, I won't do that. (laughs) He was was to teach them, verse 4 it says, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine, from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Do you see what's going on here? This is, a, this is a hostile takeover strategy. This is a cultural imperial pressure. It's an imperial strategy, a cultural suppression strategy to take the best young men and to reshape them, to reprogram them, knowing that they will then in turn shape their nation. They are taught the language and the literature of Babylon. They're given good food and wine. They're trained to think and speak and act like a Babylonian. And Babylon's aim for those young men is digital Babylon's aim for you. Your device and the worldviews, the algorithms, the corporations behind it is attempting to disciple you into a monetized brand me identity and a lifestyle. But Daniel is a resilient and a thriving disciple. From verse 8, Daniel resolves not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord but, my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance." with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. So Daniel, he resists the coercive and seductive power of Babylon. And he thrives. He has the opportunity to enjoy all the pleasures that Babylon offers. But his heart remains fixed on God. And at the end of the 10 days, verse 15, They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Vindication for the vegetarians in the room, right? (laughs) To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So God blesses Daniel and his friends to live well in exile, right, under that intense pressure. They are resilient disciples. They don't surrender their identity as people of God to the pressures of Babylon. They live out what Romans 12.2 urges us. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. See, exile can be a wonderfully refining and sharpening place in which to live out a thriving faith in Jesus. Faith in exile is challenging in all kinds of ways. But remember, we have hope, we have biblical role models, and we have the Spirit of God living in us. The same Spirit that has empowered believers to live in much harder situations than ours. If you want faith in Jesus which will endure for the rest of your life, if you desire the kind of resilient faith that the young believers across the world in this study carry, you need intimacy with Jesus. One of the defining characteristics of resilient disciples in this study is that they find deep, Joy and satisfaction in their relationship with Jesus. They describe their relationship with Jesus in very very intimate, very personal, very present terms.? Right? They feel close to Him. Now Christian faith is not just an emotional experience, but it's also not, not absent of emotional experience, right? When we were dead in our sins, God made us alive with Christ and our salvation was stamped as a cosmic reality independent of our feelings. And then as we walk with Jesus, we we long for, we invest in, we develop a feeling of closeness to Jesus. We build a relationship with Jesus that is and that feels sustaining and comforting. We desire and we build a deep awareness of God's presence, his love, his closeness, his work in us. Thriving and resilient disciples, according to study, also feel compelled to grow in faith. They're committed to reading God's word and to prayer, not just as habits, but as life-giving communication with God himself. They report that their experience of church gives them guidance for the Christian life and provides deep community with others to follow Jesus alongside. So here's a really powerful finding. Church involvement is a necessary but insufficient condition for resilient discipleship. A church involvement is a necessary but insufficient condition for resilient discipleship. If you went to the paint store for two hours every Sunday for five years and maybe even went to some painting demonstrations, does that make you a painter? No. Church is absolutely essential to resilient discipleship. That's clear for us theologically, it's clear in this study, but it can never be enough on its own. If we're going to thrive in digital Babylon, we need to move beyond involvement to intimacy. Because Faith for exiles, here's, here's a scary stat. Faith for Exile showed us that 9 out of 10 habitual churchgoers believe that Jesus defeated sin and death. Yet they have a dropout rate of 64%. The salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. But faith without works is dead. And the stats show us that just agreeing that Jesus died and rose and then showing up to church each week has a 36% chance of keeping you walking with Jesus till the end. That's terrifying, right? Involvement is not enough. We need to know and love and to be known and loved by Jesus. Because that is a better place to ground our identity. Instead of brand me, we are followers of Jesus. Or we are children of God. Instead of creating and curating our identity to the world, we are God's family made and saved and known and loved and sanctified by him. If you want to endure in faith to the end, then get close and stay close to Jesus. Well, Daniel, faced with the cultural pressures of Babylon on his identity in God, he thrives. Verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. Do you see how Daniel's resilient faith, his devotion to God, his grounded identity as a servant of the Lord rather than a puppet of Babylon, how it empowers him to live well in exile? He's faced with the the limitation, the the restrictions, the challenge of the pressure of his captivity. And limitation breeds innovation. He finds new ways to honour God and live out his faith. God uses that to place Daniel in a position of influence in that foreign kingdom, just like he did with Joseph, to bring God's blessing to those people through that resilient disciple. And later in his story that we'll see next week, his deeply grounded identity in God and his intimacy with God means that he refuses to stop praying, to stop nurturing that intimacy with God. And so he is thrown to lions, to certain death, from which God rescues him. And the king, the Babylonian king, worships the Lord because of Daniel's witness. Daniel thrives. He's deeply resilient. And God uses it powerfully. Along with Daniel were Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, who were also known as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Four young believers. Four resilient disciples who are remembered for thriving in exile. The other kind of exiles the ones who succumbed to the cultural pressures of Babylon, they didn't have history written about them. But that faithful remnant endured and God carried his gospel plan through them. Our world desperately needs resilient disciples of Jesus for the next 50 years. Our world needs a faithful remnant, just like we did in Babylon, who will endure and innovate, and thrive in following Jesus. It's how God works, constantly renewing and reforming his church through these faithful believers who are deeply devoted to Jesus, from whom renewal and new life flows out across the church and the world. I am determined to be a thriving and resilient disciple of Jesus for the next 50 years. I'm determined that Unichurch will be a community that forms thriving and resilient disciples of Jesus for the next 50 years. If you're with me, if that's what you want, there is nowhere to start except to get close and stay close to Jesus. So why don't I pray that we would do that. God, we long to be people who walk with Jesus every day of our lives. We long to be people who thrive following you. We long to be resilient disciples in our digital Babylon. And we pray, Lord, that you would make it so. From our community, from us here at Church, Lord, please... Continue to build resilient and thriving disciples of Jesus and raise up the next generation of leaders to lead your church and carry your gospel to the ends of the earth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.